0: Welcome to the Dreadcast. I'm Donovan Dredd. In this episode, we're gonna hear stories from six different people describing their very odd and strange encounters with the supernatural. But before we get into the stories, check out DreddsArmy.com for daily news of the strange and weird. Now here's the stories. Hello there, Donovan. I've been a fan of yours for a while now. I never really had a supernatural encounter, but after your episode on that neighborhood building in Northern Virginia, I figured I would send this in. My wife and I love the show. Here's my story. I've lived in Charlotte, North Carolina for quite some time now. Charlotte's a beautiful city with so much to do. We don't live far from Panther Stadium, and I get season tickets to all the games through my work. The restaurants around here are some of the best in the world, and I can't imagine living anywhere else. I only have a half-hour commute to work, and life's been pretty good to us overall lately. When I look out my kitchen window, I can see this industrial building with no signage or advertising, and I've often pondered what could possibly be going on inside of that building. At first, I figured it might be a food processing center or something like that. I can see cars coming 24 hours a day, and they park somewhere inside the building, so I never see people get in and out of their cars. There are a couple of things about this place that strike me as being weird. Firstly, all the cars that come and go are new and expensive. Mercedes, BMW, Alfa Romeos, etc. Another distinct characteristic is that all the cars have completely blacked out windows, well above what I know to be the legal limit. I often walk my dog Baxter in a continuous loop trying to figure out what is going on in there. But security is tight and there is a large gate outside the building where cars can come and go. There is a sign on the gate that says, scan your ID at the gate. So there's no way I could just walk in there and figure out what's going on. Another thing that's been bothering me is the fact that the building is always so dark. You can never see inside no matter what time of day or night it is. It's like the building is purposely trying to hide whatever is going on inside. And then there are the strange noises. Sometimes late at night, I can hear this loud humming noise coming from the building. It's like a motor running loudly, but I can't figure out what it could be. It's weird and unsettling. My daughter has claimed to hear anguish screaming coming in that direction. But to be fair, that could be coming from anywhere. There are lots of people living around us. Still, I wouldn't count out that the screams came from the building. I don't know what's going on inside that building, but there are some things that aren't right about it. I feel like there may be something illegal happening inside and I worry about what could happen if investigated further. But at the same time, I can't help but to be curious about what's going on behind those blacked-out windows. My friends always think I'm being crazy when I mention the building and they roll their eyes at me. I know I talk a lot about it, but something weird is going on in there. I just know it. My neighbors all have varying opinions about what the facility could be. A couple have told me it's a drug processing plant. A few others speculate that it's a headquarters for a secret government organization. I was having some wine with a neighbor one night who confessed she believed it to be a front for a large-scale illegal weapons operation. My wife jokes with me that it's a covert operations center for a major intelligence agency, but that has been one of the more plausible explanations that I've heard. An older woman who lives nearby said it was an alien contact center where they were receiving instructions from outer space about how to invade Earth. My daughter is convinced it's a center for human cloning or gene manipulation experiments. Besides the screams that she's heard, she's also claimed to see strange men in lab coats escorting non-human entities around the building. She says the windows of the building are blacked out so nobody can see the illegal tests and experiments that they're running in there. Apparently, her friend on the school bus has a dad that works at that building, and he's not allowed to talk about what's going on in there. Every time I think I'm being paranoid, I talk to my daughter, and I'm relieved that I'm not the only one. My wife won't entertain it and becomes incredibly irritated when I mention the building now. I guess I've talked about it too many times. I'm not the only one who views this building as something out of the ordinary. I was finally about to get a confession out of one of my neighbors after a couple glasses of wine. He was visibly shaken as he recounted the story to me. I could see the terror in his eyes, and he kept looking around him to make sure nobody else was listening. He said that he saw a van pull up to the building one night, and then saw a man with a cloak over his head and his arms behind his back fall out of the truck. The man got up and started running, and another man in a suit hit him over the head, and threw him in the back of the van. The van disappeared into the building and my neighbor called 911. The operator said they were coming right away, but no police ever showed up. My neighbor worries that he's on some sort of government list now because of what he saw. He made me promise not to tell anyone, but how could you not tell people about a story like that? What horror is going on in that building so close to me and my family? Sometimes I feel like I'm going crazy. But your show keeps me sane, Donovan. There are unexplained phenomenon in this world, and if we don't keep investigating, we'll just live in fear and never know anything for certain. I'm looking forward to the next episode. Hey Donovan, you inspired me to write today. I've only told my closest family this story, nobody else. My dog Gunner was my best friend. Gunner was the best dog that I'd ever had. He was always happy and always seemed to know when I needed some cheering up. He would always come over and lay his head on my lap. And before I knew it, I was smiling again. There were so many things that I loved about Gunner. He was always so happy. Even if something bad happened, he would always wag his tail and try to make the best of it. Secondly, he was always so gentle. He never once bit or growled at anyone, even when other dogs were trying to start a fight. He was always so smart, too. He learned how to do so many tricks, and he always seemed to understand what I wanted him to do without any trouble. I could go on for hours about how great Gunner was, but I think the most important thing is that he made me happy. Whenever I was feeling down, he would come over and make me feel better. He was truly my best friend, and I miss him dearly. One night, he ran into the woods, and I spent hours trying to find him. It was such a traumatic night for me, and I really don't even like writing about it. I had been walking for hours calling my dog's name. He had run off into the woods earlier that day, and I was determined to find him. As the sky grew darker and darker, I began to worry. What if I never saw my best friend again? It was pitch black as I scoured the woods with my flashlight looking for Gunner. I had been calling his name relentlessly for hours, but there was no response. I brought a bag of treats with me in hopes that he would see them and come running back to me. However... No matter how long I searched or how loudly I called him, Gunner was nowhere to be found. The woods were quiet and creepy. Every sound made my heart jump, and I constantly scanned the darkness for any sign of my furry friend. Time seemed to be standing still as I wandered through the trees, calling out Gunner's name. Finally, after hours of searching, I had to admit defeat. I went home heartbroken, not knowing if I would ever see my best friend again. The next day, I returned to the woods with my parents. We scoured every inch of those woods, but still couldn't find Gunner. We put up flyers and contacted all the local animal shelters, but no one had seen him. For weeks, we searched tirelessly for my lost dog, but he was nowhere to be found. Finally, one day out of desperation, we placed an ad on Craigslist offering a $500 reward for anyone who could find Gunner. A few nights later, we received a call from someone who spotted him in a nearby park. We drove over there immediately, but the dog they found wasn't Gunner. Devastated, I headed back to the house and figured I would take one last look in the woods before saying goodbye to my friend. I got my flashlight, a bag of his favorite treats, and I headed out. The woods were just as eerily quiet as the night I'd searched for Gunner. I screamed for him as loud as I could as I walked deeper and deeper into the woods. I continued to call his name, but there was no answer. The only sound I could hear was the crunch of leaves under my feet. I was about to finally give up when I saw some sort of creature lying on the ground. My heart sank. Was this Gunner's lifeless body on the ground? I walked slowly towards him, preparing to say my last words. My eyes were filled with tears, heartbroken at what I thought was Gunner. The closer I got to the creature, the more I began to doubt it was Gunner. Was it a dead deer or something else decaying in the woods? It appeared very skinny and tall and gray in coloration. I assumed it had lost all its hair, but the closer I got, I realized it didn't have any hair at all. Was this a dead person in the middle of the woods? I started shaking as I got closer. It had pale, thin skin and looked somewhat human. As I stood directly over the body, shining the flashlight down on it, I saw that it was completely naked and almost skeletal in appearance. I felt nauseous that this thing wasn't human. Suddenly, this thing turned its head and looked right at me and started making this unnerving clicking noise. It had hollow black eyes with no nose and a giant mouth. I immediately turned around and ran as fast as I could back to the house. I had never seen anything like that in my life, and that clicking noise it made still haunts me. To think that this thing is just lurking in the woods next to my house is enough for me to vomit. After wondering what the hell that thing could be, I discovered some articles about a creature called the rake. I started reading all of the accounts of people who have claimed to have seen one. In doing so, I noticed that there were some patterns in the stories. Many people claimed that a rake had hollow black eyes and was terrifying in nature. I also read accounts of people who have harmed themselves after claiming to encounter one. In many of these cases, the victims had left behind a note which described the creature in great detail. Humanoid, pale skin, unnaturally skinny and tall, black hollow eyes, and no nose. I don't know for certain if that's what I saw, but what keeps me up at night is that my beloved dog might have been killed by that creature. That disturbs me deeply as he deserved a long life and a natural death. I miss Gunner every day, and I pray I never see that thing again. If any one of your viewers has seen anything similar, can you please let me know? My father was in the military, and my family moved around a lot when I was a kid. When I was about three, we moved into an old farmhouse. My mom had got me a toy fire truck for my birthday, and I loved it. I would play with it all the time. It had lights that would come on when the wheels moved and a loud siren that you could activate by pushing a button. It was my favorite toy. One morning, I had gotten up early and was playing with my toys on my parents' bedroom floor. My mom was really tired, and she asked me to play quieter so that she could sleep for a couple more minutes. Being only three, I said yes, but kept playing as I had been. Finally, my mom got up and took the fire truck from me to take the batteries out and give it back to me to play with silently. To her confusion, she saw that there were no batteries in the fire truck. Being exhausted, she gave me back the toy and tried to get some sleep. As soon as I started playing with the fire truck again, the lights came on and the siren was sounding at full volume. This freaked my mom out and she led me out of the bedroom. That night, my dad got home and my parents started discussing their day. My mom explained the incident with the firetruck to my dad. Who immediately laughed it off. My mom was persistent and finally my dad agreed to investigate. After dinner, my mom led my dad into the bedroom and pointed to the fire truck toy on the ground. He picked it up and started fiddling with it. It had no batteries in it and the lights and the siren didn't work. See, my dad said, it just needs batteries. My mom was frustrated. I'm telling you, it was going crazy before. She grabbed it and started messing with it. No lights and no siren. She put it on the ground and told me to play with it. The second my hands touched it, the lights and siren went off. My dad took the fire truck outside, grabbed a baseball bat, and began to repeatedly smash it into oblivion. I was too young to remember any of this, but apparently, when my dad got back inside, I told him in a serious tone that Lily was displeased that he broke her fire truck. My mom and dad looked at each other in horror when I said that. Later that night, they put me to bed and laughed it off as an imaginary friend and simple glitch with the fire truck. After everyone went to bed, my parents woke up to a strong smell of smoke. Certain that the house must be on fire, they picked me up and rushed me out of the house in a panic and called 911. The firefighters came, but there was no fire or even smoke in the house. I don't know what happened. A couple weeks later, my grandparents came to visit. We were all eating dinner one night, and my grandmother told me that she has a surprise for me. I jumped up and down, excited, screaming, what is it, what is it? My grandmother laughed and said, eat everything on your plate and I'll give it to you. After eating everything, even the vegetables I hated, I crawled up into my grandmother's lap and said, all done. My grandfather got up and went into the next room to get my surprise. I know your other one broke, so I got you a fire truck, sweetie, my grandmother said to me. I was ecstatic. It wasn't going to be the same toy, but I was going to have a fire truck again. Apparently, I started squealing in excitement and running around the room in a frenzy. Five minutes passed, and my grandfather didn't return from the bedroom. Hang on, sweetie, let me help your grandfather find your present, my grandmother said as she left the room. After about five more minutes, my grandparents both came into the living room empty handed. I must have left it in the car, my grandfather said, and headed out the front door. I'll help you look, my dad said, and quickly took off after him. They were probably out there ten minutes when they came inside empty-handed. My grandfather looked flabbergasted. I was looking forward to seeing you play with your new fire truck, my grandfather told me. Oh, we probably forgot it at home. We will bring it to you next weekend, sweetie, my grandmother said. My mom laughed and said, don't worry, he has enough toys. I was visibly upset, but I quickly forgot about it, and we all sat spending time with each other in our living room. About a half hour later, a strong burning smell started to emanate from the kitchen. I must have left the oven on, my mom said, as she ran into the kitchen. My grandmother followed her quickly to help. A few seconds later, we heard shrieks coming from the kitchen. My mom ran out to inform my dad of the situation. Before she could utter a word, I said, Lily is displeased. She liked the other fire truck better. How did? My mom started. My grandmother ran into the room and yelled, The fire truck is in the oven. Why would you put it in there, Frank? My grandfather looked confused. I didn't put the damn thing in there. Well, who did? Shortly afterwards, we moved out of that house. Dad got stationed somewhere else and we went from state to state. I haven't had any paranormal experiences since, and I was too young to remember those events. But my family is still haunted by the experience in that house. My mom did some research and learned that a little girl had died in a house fire on that property several years before we got there. Could that be Lily? Is Lily's spirit the reason the firetruck worked without batteries? Did the spirit of Lily cause the house to reek of smoke? Did Lily put that firetruck in the oven? So many unanswered questions, but one thing is for sure, my entire family is happy to be out of that house. I don't think I received any more fire truck toys after that either, but I turned out all right. I had to share my story with you, Donovan. Thanks and take care. Hey, Donovan, I have a story for you. I would rather not say exactly where I live, but it's in the southeastern part of the United States, near a national government laboratory. Many of the employees at the laboratory are not allowed to talk about the projects they are working on outside of work. However, it's not uncommon to corner an uncle or a friend that is employed there and try to weasel information out of them. They will sometimes drop tidbits or even tell crazy things that are not classified. One night, after an uncle of mine had a few too many drinks, he started talking about this creature they kept at the lab. He described it as stickly, thin, bone-like, and bald. He said its eyes were too big for its head, and its hands and feet had long, bony appendages. He said he had seen it deep in an underground bunker located under the lab. My uncle was an architectural engineer. He had been called in to determine the structural integrity of a bunker. According to him, the government had built a shelter during World War II and whatever was being kept there was breaking it down. My uncle had been led deep into the complex and down several tunnels until he arrived at the bunker. He said the bunker resembled a bank vault, like those from old bank heist movies. He said the escorts had instructed him not to look at the back of the structure, just the interior section tied to the hallway. At first, he said nothing stood out but then he looked up and saw evidence that something dangerous was being kept inside the bunker. He said that there were claw marks deep into the walls. He was baffled because the bunker was made of thick concrete and steel. He said it would be impossible for a human or a wild animal to leave those marks on the wall. After examining the walls, he said aloud that they should still hold for several years. At his prognosis, He said he had heard a terrible sound from the back of the bunker. It sounded like a whale and a high-pitched screech in one. Without thinking, he quickly turned and peered into the back of the bunker. It was then that he spotted the creature. He said it was restrained in a seated position, so he could not tell its full height or size. He said the guards quickly rushed him from the room and had more guards posted in the front of the bunker. One guard escorted him back to the surface level and out of the tunnels. The guard took him to an office, and they repeatedly asked him questions about what he had seen. He said he knew better than to admit that he saw it. He kept repeating that it was dark and only saw the front of the room. The laboratory is surrounded by acres and acres of woods. Armed guards patrol the perimeter, and signs are posted everywhere that it is a violation to cross the boundary and many employees have told me that snipers are scattered throughout to stop intruders. Hunters occasionally drift near the perimeter, but no one crosses it. However, one side of the lab is a rural highway. It goes directly along the side of the border. It is a narrow two-lane road that locals use only to reduce their commute time. On this road late one night, I saw some strange lights floating above the road directly ahead. As my car approached, the lights seemed to be the same distance ahead. I began to have wild ideas, but then quickly smashed them for the thought of someone has a drone. Yep, some kid has a new birthday present. Then the lights started to speed up and move from side to side. I wasn't sure what to think at that point. The next thing I know, the lights do this wild swirl and then nosedived into the woods up ahead to my left. Next, as if they had been following or chasing this object, a surge of lab police vehicles swarmed the wooded area. They didn't seem to notice me in my little black Civic in all of the commotion. I heard the worst noise when I came closest to the spot on the road to where the lights crashed. It was this screeching wail. My windows were up and the noise was still off the charts. I pushed my foot on the gas and quickly passed the commotion and made it off the remote road. For weeks, I watched the local news and listened for any indication that something had happened on that remote road, yet nothing was ever said. In my mind, that noise came from a creature like the one my uncle had seen trapped in a bunker years ago. I don't know if it was the same creature or its companions that had come to rescue it, but I went from a skeptic to a believer. Thanks, Lynn. Hi there, Donovan. Thanks for getting this content out to the people. My strange encounter happened about a year ago. I know this story is not one of your typical encounters, but it happened. I have seriously been shaken ever since. I work at a national park in Kentucky. It's called Mammoth Cave. Mammoth Cave is a massive cave system currently known as the most extensive cave system in the world. It has over 420 miles of explored tunnels. It is still expanding. The portion outside the cave is a large park as well. It's a great place to take the family on vacation. Families hike and kayak and explore the caves. However, as I say this, I also preface with being cautious of your time inside the cave. I have worked at many parks throughout my career. I have a niche in war history, specifically weaponry. Mammoth Cave was an exciting placement for me. The bats that live in the cave produce guano, bat poop, a key component in potassium nitrate, better known as saltpeter, used during earlier wars. Enslaved people were forced to mine it. Several artifacts from that period have been recovered from the cave. I am not one to typically believe in wild tales, but after my encounter I discovered your channel, hoping to make sense of what I saw. Honestly, though, it has led me to believe that many things in our big world are unexplained. Anyhow, I digress. Part of working the caves means giving tours. Tours become monotonous quickly. Tourists are always asking the same questions and I'm giving out the same answers over and over. It's rinse and repeat. I always try to be engaging. It was Tuesday in the second tour that I had given that morning. I had a relatively large group of people. Part of the group was a family of three, a mom, dad, and a girl about the age of ten. The family was relatively quiet, but seemed engaged throughout the tour. Of course, the cave comes with its legends. Some of these are spirits that haunt the cave, but I never gave this much thought. I never even considered that there was such a thing as a ghost. I would, of course, tell the stories in the hope of engaging my audience, but I had never seen anything to make me believe that there was any truth to it. As I led my group to the haunted chamber, I noticed the temperature had changed. The temperature change seemed odd because the cave keeps a consistent 54 degrees once inside and away from the entrance. Over my time working within the cave system, I had been accustomed to the temperature. I remember thinking that perhaps I was getting sick. As I began speaking to the group, the internal light system glitched. The lights were not going off, but they were dimmed. The light's dimming was unusual. During this, I glanced at the family standing before me to the right. The daughter suddenly pitched forward like someone had shoved her from behind. Her dad's quick reflexes saved her from a fall. I asked if she was okay, and she said someone had pushed her. The strange thing was, her family was to the side, and no one was behind them. I checked that she was okay and had my partner continue with the group, while I attended to this family. As I leaned down in front of the girl, rocks started shuffling behind her. Small stones about the size of driveway gravel began rolling. The ground was unlevel in this chamber section, but not enough for the previously undisturbed stones to move. I told the family that we should catch up with the group and leave now. As we exited the chamber, I saw someone's back as they rounded a rock outcropping thinking that this was another tour member trying to be funny. By being disruptive with the historic site, I quickly returned to the area to confront them. Guess what, Donovan? Nothing. No one was there. The entire room was empty but for myself. There was nowhere someone could have hidden or gone to escape. I am nervous and anxious and a little sick at this point. I quickly caught up to the group and luckily we were at the end of the tour. I took the rest of the day off and debated returning to work the next day. I'm unsure if it was the girl, the time we were there, or me. I have no idea. But there is truly something supernatural inside Mammoth Cave. Got a short story for you, Donovan, from my home in West Virginia. I live in a city in the north of West Virginia called Fairmont. But this happened at my buddy's hunting cabin in Berkeley County. Berkeley County is one of the easternmost counties of West Virginia, and it sits at the top of the Shenandoah Valley. The Shenandoah Valley is part of the Appalachian Trail. The trail is a hiker's paradise. It goes down the Blue Ridge Mountains. It's truly a beautiful area. My buddy has a hunting cabin that is pretty remote in this area. I believe it was family land handed down. He rarely goes and the cabin had not been used at that time for a few seasons. When my buddy suggested that we take a long weekend to be mountain men, what we call hunting, fishing, and roughing it, I was all in. We packed light because the cabin does have some of the necessities like running water. The trip into the cabin was great. The views are truly unmatched. We arrived on a Thursday afternoon and settled in for the night. Everything in the cabin seemed to be in order as we quickly glanced about. Besides finding a snake in the woodpile, the afternoon was relatively uneventful. We were pretty beat and we went to sleep around dark, so it was probably around 9 p.m. Near 1 in the morning, something made a noise outside my room. It startled me awake. It sounded like something had fallen. Knowing that the cabin had not been in use and most likely wild animals had become comfortable coming close, I thought it was most likely a deer or a raccoon. I must have drifted off to sleep because when I started awake again around 1.45, this time there was a loud boom. My buddy had woken up too. He was on the other side of the cabin. Both of us quickly grabbed our guns and a light. We tried at first to peer out of the little window in the cabin, but due to it being small and unclean, it was impossible to really see out. Then we decided to creep out and see what caused the commotion. As we slowly and quietly slid out the front door, we saw that the heavy wooden bench that sat out front had been tossed upside down about five feet away. The area is known to have bears and wild boar. The bears can be quite large, and the boar are just stupid destructive. Yet not a single creature was in sight. It was late and I was on edge. We decided it would be best just to hunker down for the night. The original plan was that we would get up super early Friday morning to hunt. But after the night we had, we decided we wouldn't go until after daylight. At daylight, we began poking around outside. We didn't realize it at first. But then we realized there were faint tracks all around the cabin. The tracks were odd. The creature was for sure not a bear or a wild boar. This thing had a foot span longer than a typical man's. We measured it about 14 inches long. It favored the outside of its feet, so a width measurement was impossible to get accurately. I wear a size 12 shoe, and it was easily wider and longer. The creature seemed to have toes or something. At this point, I started searching Google to see what type of tracks these could be. So my buddy and I decided to start having breakfast. He had brought a grill for us to cook on, so we went to the truck to dig it out. This quickly turned into some frantic hollering. During the night, whatever had flipped the bench had obviously helped themselves to most of the supplies in the back of the truck. The grill was still there, most likely due to it not being super portable. But our extra hunting gear had been taken, our cooler was gone, and so were several of our knives. Luckily, we had brought all the guns inside when we arrived. We also had to begun to entertain the idea that some druggy mountain people had stumbled upon us last night. It didn't exactly explain the bench, but it did the stealing. And then we had a decision to make. We could try to salvage what we could and stay till Sunday, the original plan, or we could take off. I was ready to leave, but I didn't want to admit it. My buddy still wanted to stay and do some exploring. I think he was sore about having been stolen from and was hoping to come across his stuff. After breakfast, we decided to do some scouting. We took off on foot with our hunting rifles. We had probably walked about 15 minutes when we approached the creek that borders one side of his property. We were ready to follow the creek for a bit when I spotted something orange across the creek. We waded through a narrow part of the channel and found that the orange item was my hunting safety vest. It looked like it had been dropped. At this point, my buddy wanted to continue in the direction the vest was left. To see if we could find the thieves. We continued on but at this point I was getting a little spooked. Then my friend pointed out a cave. A huge open mouth cave. My buddy is all pointing and trying to whisper that the druggies might be hiding out there. Then something happened. A large creature hunkered like a bear moved to the mouth of the cave. It was on all fours but its back was angled high. It was covered in this shaggy fur like a sheepdog would have. It was brownish and black. I couldn't see its face, only its back and a little bit of its side. At this point, it slowly started to rise. It kept rising, slowly lifting its large, heavy body. I was a good distance, but it was easily over seven feet tall. It didn't have any clothing on, only shaggy, hairy fur. I stood completely still, afraid to move or even breathe. This thing stealthily moved into the cave. At this point, I am done. No amount of convincing would have kept me hanging around. I glanced at my buddy, and he was the same. As quietly as possible, we moved back towards the creek. We crossed and then ran back to the cabin. Without saying a word, we packed up our stuff and took off. It was probably about ten minutes up the road when we finally began to really speak. We decided to stop by the sheriff's office. The sheriff's office was a laid-back place. Funny enough, it even had coffee and donuts sitting out on the counter when we went in. We asked to speak to someone in private about some items being stolen. I think we were obviously scared of what we would say when we began to speak. The receptionist walked us back to a small office. Sitting at the desk was an officer and he asked what could he help us with. I finally worked up the nerve and explained that we had been hunting at a cabin on the north rim and that we had been woken in the night to some items being stolen from our vehicle. He asked for a more specific location, and when we gave him a closer address, he began to smirk. He asked what we did after the items were stolen, and we described our morning. When I told him about the creature, he did put on a more serious face. In a draw, he said, "'You two are lucky. We have a bandit of sorts on that mountain.' most see evidence of him passing through but very few have been able to catch a glimpse gentlemen thank you for your time in berkeley county and have a safe trip home needless to say the cabin has now been officially abandoned my buddy hasn't been back and as far as i know no one else has it's a story we tell friends but no one ever believes us i know what i saw and there is a giant creature that lives in that cave